The year is AD 79. The Roman Empire is under the short-lived rule of Titus. We're in the city of Pompey, a prosperous trading center on the Bay of Naples. If you look between the buildings over there, you can see a mountain by the name of Vesuvius. The volcano? Yes, the volcano. Hello and welcome back to Cloister Bell. Uh, Doctor Who podcast brought to you by the generous support of our patrons. I'm Rob and I'm here with Liam. Oh yes, yes, I'm here as well. Hi Rob, hi everyone. I did a drum roll there, uh-huh. but um, it just it just echoes and vibrates the mic stand, so don't let me do that again. <laughs> right, okay. We, yeah, learn your lesson. Don't do a drum roll. But uh, yeah, nice to be here. Um, this is episode one three two, I believe. It's a lot of episodes. Mm. Um, and this is our second Pompeii episode. A couple of weeks ago, we discussed the David Tennant episode, "The Fires of Pompeii." Today, we're going to look at a big finish story from when's it from the year two thousand. It's a seventh Doctor story called the fires of vulcan and had you heard of that uh i i'd heard of it uh not least of all rob because it's 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 been something that we've been wanting to do for a long time which is reviewing the two stories um in quite close succession um but i think uh, even before you'd sort of mooted the idea i think you know i'd heard of it um i think not least of all because isn't this the first audio adventure which brings mal back um, I think it's the yes, first, it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's the first one, Bonnie Langford. In so I think I was aware. Ah, um, so yes, I was aware of it, but uh, I'd never, I had never listened to it before. It's quite good in the fact that it's just a historical, mm-hmm. which is quite refreshing. No one's like threw in any rock monsters or aliens. Yeah, that was the word I was. Uh, I would use it. Is it is quite refreshing, especially this later on. You know, this later on in in, in the run of, of Doctor Who, just in general, to have a, a straight historical. Um, mm. I was quite surprised, pleasantly surprised, that uh, Big Finish did that because um, I think uh, we'd reviewed in terms of a historical setting. There's been a couple of Big Finish. Uh, Phantasmagoria is one that immediately leaps to mind. Um, which had a, which had a, an alien uh, presence in that. I think there was a Colin Bacon, Colin Bacon, uh, Colin Baker one. Sorry. Um, <laughs> um, Are you hungry? <laughs> how did you know? Um, uh, there was a Colin Baker story. Uh, the something conspiracy is that because we re- listened to that a long time ago. Is that the Marian conspiracy? That was the one. Yes. It's been a long time since I've heard that. Yeah, I think it, I think that's a straight historical, I... isn't it? Possibly. Uh, I'm curious now. Yeah, I, I think it was, if, if memory serves. But um, I was I was always under the impression that Big Finish tended to do a lot of more of the science fiction element. So to, to come across this story, especially obviously coming from the David Tennant story, the, uh, the Fires of Pompeii, which clearly has a science fiction element to it. it you know, good contrast there. Yeah. It does use one element of science fiction, and that is the time travel, which is always um, part of the DNA of the show anyway. Yes, but that uh, is true. That is there, yeah, yeah. Um, but that that works really well. 
it doesn't um, interfere with the story and the characters. No, it doesn't. In fact, it, in fact, it bookends it because when we first start the story, um, it's set in 1980, and there's an archaeological dig in Pompeii, and the big thing is um, the TARDIS is discovered, and then we go back to Pompeii with the Doctor Rumel arriving there, and at that point, I thought, oh, are we go- are we going to have a story where we? Um, sort of like hop between the two um mm. time periods and seeing how what happens in pompeii uh in 79 ad did you remember the year this time rob no and <laughs> when i'd listened to fires fires of vulcan this mm. story yeah um that's when it kind of struck me i was like oh that's where i know it from <laughs> Yeah, um, so I because so initially when I was listening to it, I was thinking, oh, maybe we're going to have a story where the the events in seventy nine AD affect the what's happening in nineteen eighty, and we sort of like hop between the two. But that doesn't happen. Uh, we have this sort of this framing device. It's there at the beginning. It, it's not entirely abandoned because it does it does fit into the story. Um, but in terms of the actual period of nineteen eighty, it's there at the beginning and it's there at the very end, and that's it. Largely, yeah. the story it, takes place in 79 AD. It introduces Pompeii and its cultural significance because maybe not everybody knows about Pompeii. So it's presented as this um, historical site as well. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so before we get on to the story, um, is there anything you want to talk about beforehand? Um, probably a bit of Doctor Who news out there. Um, all of the classic who is going to iPlayer. Yes. So when we're recording this, it hasn't been that long when that announcement was made. Um, it were actually a few days away. I believe this is coming out on October 30th and the new stuff is going live on iPlayer on November 1st. Yes. I, I That was the date that, that was the bit of the news that I missed. Um, so as soon as I was like, Oh, okay. I went straight onto iPlayer. Why is it just new who? What the hell's going on? Um, <laughs> I had this bizarre notion of it's like which story do I watch first I was going I don't know why I just thought the twin dilemma of course I shall watch the twin dilemma naturally naturally yeah um so yeah and then it was like oh okay maybe I've missed something and then I went back and read the the announcement properly like oh the first of November so I've got to wait but I think that's uh that's great news it is um and it sounds like there'll be more interlinking stuff in there hmm. um, to kind of perk it up because I, I think in the article, um, Russell D. Davis said he didn't want it to be a dusty museum of just the old episodes. Hmm. So I think it's going to be presented in an exciting way. Maybe there'll be some um, interactive information content or or additional documentaries or features. Um, and I know there'll be subtitles and maybe audio description or sign language yes um, there is that yeah, yeah the accessibility options are going to be more vast than what we've had mm-hmm. and i'm assuming there'll be there'll be animated stuff um i hope existing episodes that are incomplete will be there it would be nice i've got a sneaking suspicion that pro- that may not be the case because they i think mm-hmm. they've given a thing i think they said it's going to be 800 episodes um how does that add up um is there is there 700 odd existing episodes 
Uh, no, I think I think total isn't there. Isn't it nine hundred odd? I may be completely wrong. Oh right, okay. I'm uh, I'm thinking in the wrong direction then. Okay. So yeah, I I don't think incomplete stories will will, will, will be presented unless it's uh, unless it's animated. But but we will yeah. see. But it's been a long time coming. I think a lot of people over the years have said, well, you know, why isn't Doctor Who on you know classic Doctor Who? Why isn't it on on iPlayer? Um, yeah, and if they do the animated stuff, I wonder which versions they'll put out there because. Britbox was all over the place. They had some presented in four by three black and white. Mm. Some were presented in widescreen color. It was quite inconsistent. Yeah. So one yeah. suspects there will be a consistency with that as well. So one would hope. Yeah, one will hope. We shall see. <laughs> but no, I thought that I thought that was uh, that's good. That's good news, and um, it's got a lot of people uh, excited and interested. Uh, there was some concern some people had of going. Maybe it would affect the, the sales of uh, you know. The, the physical product with a Blu-ray collection box. Well, but I don't think it will. No, because anyone who's going out to buy the Blu-ray probably already owns it two or three times <laughs> over anyway. Anyone in mind when you say that, Rob? But no, um, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think anyone's anyone who is going mad for the Blu-rays is going to think, meh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I totally agree with agree with you there. So I don't think that I don't think there's any concern on that front um and i wonder if it'll be the same capacity on like disney plus internationally like that would be pretty good for people wouldn't it we'll see yeah i think so it'd be interesting i I suspect there may be some difficulties with rights i mean that may be one of the Ah, reasons why it hasn't been on iplayer for an awfully long time because um when we were i mean i didn't have access to this but uh when i was growing up in the 90s i mean i did become aware of Doctor Who through some of the repeats that the BBC did in the 90s. But by and large, it was a cable uh, television channel called UK TV Gold, or UK Gold, um, who repeated them. And then it went over to, you know, and then obviously bringing it more recently, it's it been over to BritBox. Mm-hmm. So maybe it was a maybe it was a rights issue. I don't know, but... Um, Russell T. Davis, now that he's in, you know, is the main showrunner, he seems to be, um, I think this is a good sign that, the, you know, the show's been, you know, well looked after. Oh, yeah. I think um, Russell kind of, he has a good way of looking at things. He is like a creative artist, but at the same time, he thinks very commercially and what's relative with people and what's technically kind of feasible mm-hmm. and what the market wants. Um, so I think he coordinates quite well and I think that's a good thing for the brand. And with iPlayer, I know they kind of mandated very early on that they want to be at the forefront of like innovation for streaming. And so iPlayer kind of always tries to set the standard and I, I know people have issues with iPlayer um, possibly with I don't know the the, the um, it causes streaming big buffering issues mm. for some people yeah I, I think know. it's one of the, I think it's one of those things where um, the idea is better than the execution of it um, but yeah hopefully it'll get better on the odd occasion that I've used iPlayer I can't I can't use it through uh, the television box because it's so slow oh. um, right, so yeah. uh I've got a PlayStation and I, if I ever access um, iPlayer through the PlayStation, because it, that's, it, it's just so much quicker. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. And um, with BritBox, 
I always thought it was a bit hard to navigate because if I was watching in the middle of a season, I couldn't quickly go back and resume. It was a bit tiresome having to search for Doctor Who, find the season blind just by number. I knew roughly what what stories were in which season, but I'd imagine it's quite difficult for most people to navigate. Mm. Yeah, that sounds a bit mm. uh, bit of a pain. So yeah, we'll get on with the story soon. Um, if anyone wants to check out more of us, we've um, we're doing weekly early access on Patreon. Mm-hmm. Yep, um, and we've got a we've got a website out there, cloisterbellpodcast dot com, where you can vote in our polling station. There'll be there'll be a new poll up every week, and we have a poll up there for this story. Um, and if you haven't voted, you can go there now and cast your vote. And, uh, oh, we have a forum, Liam. I think that's the first time I'm mentioning it on the podcast. Yes, I think it is, yeah. If anyone wants to talk about Doctor Who or anything else, um, you can go in and just just, just say hello. Are, are forums dead now, Liam? Is it a thing of the past? Uh, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> we'll soon find Ask out. Ask in the forum, yes. <laughs> Good idea. Yeah, uh, so we're going to move on to the fires of Vulcan now. So this is it, the final journey. I had hoped for a while longer, time to prepare. I wish you'd tell me what's wrong. Nothing's wrong, Mel. Quite the opposite. Events are proceeding precisely as I expected they should. And you say this doctor has changed since you met him? <laughs> oh, Ackley, you don't know the half of it. I was beginning to think he didn't need me anymore. But since we arrived in Pompeii, he's been acting very strangely. I wish he'd tell me what's wrong. Look over there! Vesuvius. Is it not magnificent? Smoke rises from the very mountain. It could only have come from the furnaces of Vulcan himself. The god of fire and furnaces. Can't we do something? Against nature, no. Against time, certainly not. This happened a long time ago, Mel. We can't change it. No. I'm sorry, Doctor. I can't accept that. Please listen to me, Mel. You might think you know what's going to happen in the future, but all I know is that we aren't beaten yet. Mel. I'm going to find a way out of this, whatever it takes. But I can't give up, Doctor. Even if you can. So, on the back of the CD, it says, 2,000 years ago, a cataclysmic volcanic eruption wiped the Roman city of Pompeii from the face of the earth. It also buried the Doctor's TARDIS. Arriving in Pompeii one day before the disaster, the Doctor and Mel find themselves separated from their ship and entangled in local politics. With time running out, they fight to escape from the shadow of Mount Vesuvius. But how can they succeed when history itself is working against them? This one's written by Steve Lyons and directed by Gary Russell. Um, I'm guessing the cover art is Clayton Hickman, um, which is like a volcanic eruption of Vesuvius with a picture of um, Sylvester and Bonnie on the front there. So this one, yes, came out in 2000. It's the typical four-part format from Big Finish Monthly in its volume 12. I've got it on double CD. Um, I believe this was 
Yes, this was out on double cassette as well, if anyone has that. Since out of print though, so you can only get it on download or on out there on eBay probably. So cast and crew for this one, of course, Sylvester McCoy was the Doctor. Bonnie Langford um, was Mel. Anthony Skeet was Professor Scalini. He was um, a character who was bookended in the story. Um, Karen Henson was Captain Muriel Frost, um, which was the unit character. Then we have Robert Kirbishley, who played Tyburnus. He was a Rogan, Roman legionary. Um, then of the main supporting cast, we have Andy Coleman was Pompidius Celsinus. Nikki Goldie was Valeria Hedoni. Stephen Wickham was uh, Moranis. Lisa Hollander was Eumachia. Gemma Bissix was... Um, why is the name gone? It was Algi. What was it? Oh, Agale. Yeah. I, yes, I've just yeah. listened to that story today. <laughs> and when I come across, it, come across it in written form, it just looked like Algi. Agale. And um, Toby Longworth was the priest. So that's that funny segment out of the way where I butcher everybody's names. Uh, so, um, Liam, how do you want to do this? Should we look through each of the four episodes? Yep, can do. Okay, so in Pompeii 1980, the TARDIS has been unearthed in an earthquake and Unit arrives to take control. So basically the TARDIS, there's been a bit of a landslide or an earthquake and there's a police telephone box there and somehow Unit has caught wind of this and they arrive and... The guy there, Unit, tells them um, he's going to have to sign something to say that he's never seen it before. And after the titles, we finally catch up with the Doctor and Mel in Pompeii in 79 AD. Um, so they go outside. We can hear lots of seagulls um, because it's like a coastal city. And um, the Doctor doesn't know where he is yet. And... Um, they are observed by a slave who watches them ar- watches them arrive, uh, and they kind of, well, the doctor kind of plays along and just says that they are messengers from ISIS. The doctor does kind of admit to us that he's on this final journey, so I, he's kind of always known he was coming here. Were you liking the story so far? Oh yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, it, Is this uh... the first time you've listened to it? Have you listened to it? No, no, the, uh, this, uh, no, this was the first time. Okay. He explains to Mel exactly when and where they are at this point because um, the doctors learned it from the slave. And uh, yeah, Mel explains that she built a paper mache volcano. Uh, she says it's a, a, a papaya mache. Have I been saying it wrong all these, all these years, Liam? <laughs> Uh, if you have, that makes both of us. I did. I I made um, a paper mache volcano for school one year. It was the Easter egg competition. Do you remember those? Yes, I was thinking about that randomly the other day. I have no idea why. Oh. Was that we were in year four? Was it not every year, or was it just? No, no. Year I mean specifically thing? the one that you made with the volcano. Oh, I don't know. Because uh, I think I actually. Because wasn't that quite big? Yeah. Yeah, I, um, I I remember that. It was really impressive. I remember thinking, I remember thinking, this is going to win. 
because it was like um, a volcano. Um, and we made the texture out of like, I made it out of like toilet roll and um, flour and water and painted it grey. And then the egg was on top. It was a plume of lava with, and I drizzled red and yellow paint down the sides mm. and kind of dried that over hairdryer um, very quickly the night before. Um, I thought, well, that, that's going to win. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, no, um, Anthony Anderson's bloody Sonic the Hedgehog eggs were. <laughs> Does it still burn? <laughs> does yeah. it still hurt, Rob? It does. Yeah, I'm mm. sure that was uh, when we were in year four. Because uh, right. I, I, uh, I remember that. Yeah. And yeah, I remember the Sonic the Hedgehog. Because uh, didn't he have... Uh, I think he had four characters. And I, I, I'm sure... Uh, I think... Because I think his favourite character was Dr. Robotnik. Uh, and he had a Dr. Yeah. Robotnik egg. And in fact... Um, the the mural at the bottom of the wall. He he also painted Doctor Robotnik there in the future bit of Newcastle. No, that was mine. Oh, was that you? I always thought that yeah. was on the end. In fact, in fact, we oh, spoke okay. about this in our Patreon video recently. Yes, yes, we did. Oh, sorry, Rob, I didn't know that was you. Okay. Who did the talking flowers then? Maybe that was him. Didn't maybe that was him? Yeah, because Doctor Robotnik and the talking flowers are quite close to each other, aren't they? Right. Okay. I think yeah. we've lost the viewers at this point. What the hell are we talking about? <laughs> we know what we're talking about. <laughs> yes, so Mel mentioned the paper mache volcano. So she has a working knowledge of the history of Pompeii. Um, that it was this town town that um, was lost um, when Vesuvius erupted. Uh, and I guess a lot of the viewer, a lot of the listeners now will will know a lot of the history from the fires of Pompeii which was the 10th Doctor story that we talked about recently. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Doctor is um, a bit concerned because he knows that the TARDIS will end up buried here. Mm. And uh, he thinks, well, this is um, predestined and this is his final journey. So he lets Mel decide. So Mel can be the, the unpredictable random element here that can de- determine whether they stay or go because if the doctor decides he's making this judgment of predetermined knowledge mm-hmm. um, am I making it sound a bit more confusing than it is? No, no, you, you made that clear no, that makes sense Yeah, um, so Mel wants to stay and um, so they, they go in, into the city and uh, Mel admires all the wall writings on the walls and some of these writings are talking about the local gladiators. Uh, have you been to Pompeii? No, sadly not. Um, right. I would love to. I've, I've wanted to visit Pompeii and Herculaneum for for an awfully long time. Have you? Right. No, I guess not. Because I guess you hadn't because you would have mentioned this the other week, surely. You'd think. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm very secretive by nature. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I probably would have, actually. Yeah. But yeah, there's all these wall markings. And um, she notices there's a man following them. He does approach them as like a beggar asking for money. He gets a bit annoyed with her because she says she's got no money yet. She's dressed well. And Mm. this is where the doctor comes back into the scene and kind of gets rid of him. Uh, It turns out this spy is spying for a worshipper of the god Isis. Um, a guy called Pompidius Celsinus. 
yeah, Pompidius Celsinus is a local councillor, but he's also a worshipper um, of Isis as well. So there's a question here, if the Doctor and Mel are, are messengers of Isis, why does he not know about it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's out there. So the Doctor and Mel arrive at a local inn owned by a lady called Valeria. And this this is a nice little um, location for the story, don't you think, Liam? Um, one that they kind of revisit. It almost mm-hmm. reminds me of the, the, the cafe in Remembrance of the Daleks. Like a recurring yeah. little uh, hangout. Yeah, that's a that's a good comparison. It uh, yeah, it it does have that nice uh, feel to it, and it um, it's a good location. It, it roots the story, uh, quite well with a with a sort of familiar location. Um, it may be set in um, ancient times, but we all know what a pub is, or a bar. So it yeah. grounds it in something recognisable, but is also a, a rec- is is also a good place where you would get all these other different characters uh, interacting as well. So yeah, yeah, and we we get a taste of um, all the different classes in society as well in this story. Mm-hmm. Like quite a broader, quite a broader spectrum of them. Yeah, um, but yeah, in, in this instance, uh, Valeria owns this inn, basically just a pub for the sake of the story uh, and there's um, some gladiators um, drinking and laughing telling stories um, in the corner of the inn um, so when Valeria comes to the doctor she offers them something to drink but the doctor's got no money so he's going to go and get some so he um, gambles with one of the local gladiators um, what was his name is it Moranis? I think so yeah 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 so yeah, it gets money by um, waging Mel. Um, he if, does, yeah, yeah um, uh, to play dice in what I think has got to be a reference to the the James Bond film Octopussy. Because if anyone's seen that, uh, there's a scene where James Bonding uh, meets the villain for the first time. It's not a game of dice, but it is a game of backgammon. And there's right. this whole thing where uh, it's all to do with loaded dice. And Bond is clearly onto this, um, and uses the dice. And there's this whole line of going, "It's all in the wrist." And it, I don't know. It was just when I was listening to the story and the fact that the Doctor, you know, kind of go, you know, keeps on winning uh, initially, um, uses that line of going, "It's all in the wrist," and um, calls out uh, the gladiator for for cheating and mentions loaded dice. The whole thing just made me think of Octopussy. And it just went, That's a nice good. touch. Yeah. It's got to be a reference yeah. to that, surely. Yeah, it has to be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cool. So the Doctor does win some money here. Mm-hmm. Um, 30, I don't know what's it called, Sesterlian or whatever. So the, the Doctor gets some money. Don't know. Um And he gives some money to Mel. So Valeria, who owns the inn, gets um, get a slave that's working there um, to go out and get Mel some clothes. So Mel kind of tags along with her. And this is, this is Agley. And um, Mel accompanies her and uh, they kind of get along quite well. Mm-hmm. Mel gets embarrassed by some drawings of penises um, before <laughs> running away from a man into a brothel. <laughs> Yes. Like, I'm not even exaggerating. That's just what happens. Yeah. 
Yeah. And uh, I mean, that that is something that uh, when uh, Pompeii started to be uh, archaeologically uh, dug in the 19th century, I think, um, the, the Victorians uh, were very shocked at what they were discovering. It was a lot of naughty, dirty graffiti in Latin and, um, and lots of gratuitous pictures of penises. Um, to the point where obviously this was this was beyond the pale for for um, you know um, for the upstanding morals of society. So if you wanted to uh, study Pompeii and look upon these pictures and so on, it, it I think you had to have special permission or secretly do it at the, the British Museum or something like that. Um, yeah, I did, I, yeah. I know in like Victorian times, a lot of uh, like in artwork was a bit taboo, and it was it did get a. Uh, a lot of art went through a lot of censorship, didn't it? Like statues mm. being defaced and things like that. Yeah, but I think that was I think that was a few centuries earlier. I've forgotten which pope it was. Okay, but because um, I visited I visited the Vatican a couple of times, and yeah, you actually see this where you can tell that you got these statues, which uh, have just got these fig leaves just at some point just stuck on. Because you had this pope who just took exception to all these uh, marble statues of. Men with their dicks out, basically. Went, well, yeah. this is disgusting. Lob the yeah. dicks off and replace them with fig leaves. Um, <laughs> to, 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 that just raises more questions. Going, maybe, yeah, maybe like, he was a... Why did he want them taken off? Did he want them for himself? Maybe, yeah, because it's just like so. Okay, all these all these penises were lopped off the statues. Where did they go? No one knows. Um, <laughs> either there was just this mountain of lopped off marble penises at some point, or they mysteriously disappeared. Or maybe he had a fetish for for fig leaves. No one knows, but <laughs> maybe. <laughs> oh dear. Um... <laughs> So, Moranis, the gladiator, wins most of his money back from the Doctor. Of course, not all of it, because the Doctor had spent some of it on some of Mel's clothes. So, uh, Moranis is getting quite pissed off, and the Doctor accuses him of having the loaded dice, like what you said earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, He takes quite big offence to this. But Vesuvius begins to quake. Um, There's a bit of an earthquake, and the Doctor manages to escape. I guess... We'd have to put this quake down to the same one um, in Caecilius's house when the doctor catches the pottery of the head. Mm-hmm. Are we going to compare and contrast these stories or not? Maybe not. But um, are we going to try and intertwine them? Do you Do you picture them existing in the same fictional kind of world? Like they happen can you imagine them both happening in the same place i think so i mean well yes and no i mean stylistically obviously they're completely different um and this is played much more straight uh, uh, you know as a straight historical uh whereas fires of pompeii is much more fantastical you've got these ancient lava creatures and so on but in terms of um how the stories develop and so on they don't contradict each other you could and it's harmless to think they do exist coexist yeah yeah, because yeah, uh, if if you're so inclined, I don't think the the stories contradict each other, and you can have, you can depict um, 
the Seventh Doctor and Mel having their adventure at the same time that uh, the Tenth Doctor and Donna are having theirs. It, and um, maybe it adds a bit of fun of, you know, the the Doctor and Mel thinking that uh, this is all quite straightforward as a volcanic eruption was at the same time. Actually, it's not. And you've got all these volcano uh, monster things. And actually, uh, the volcano erupts because of the Doctor's future incarnation, if you wanted to. I mean, yeah. And and um, is there a few versions of Captain Jack here as well? Because he he visits Vol- um, Volcano Day, doesn't he? Oh, does he? Oh, sod that! That, that, that no, that, 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 oh, that's beyond the pale for me. No, that that's not included. <laughs> uh, so Mel asks asks the Doctor if they can save anyone, um, and the Doctor explains no. <laughs> so they move on from that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like. Well, actually, that that was something when I was listening to the story, I couldn't help that that contrast um, because th- there's the big thing with uh, the fires of Pompe- the fires of Pompeii with uh, with Donna basically going, you know, um, can't we save somebody, please? Yeah, and uh, well, yeah. no, no, there's the whole thing you know, <laughs> because I'm so weak and feeble, Rob. No, there's the whole thing of uh, what was it Donna? No, what was that word? Donna, human, no, we will save someone. You know, it's, it's woven into the story. Whereas with this, um, it's basically, can't we save someone? No, we can't, Mel. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm being unfair because actually I think the way that that conversation's held within this story, I think is is handled well. And, um, you know, because the, the doctor's talking about the web of time and how things affect and Mel completely understands. So it's it's a different, obviously it's a completely different take um, on it. But what we have is uh, the Doctor explaining the complexities of time and Mel going, oh, it's not great, but I completely understand and it could it could cause more problems than it than we're trying to solve. I understand. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She knows. I mean, people think, oh, River Song, she, she's a cool companion. The Doctor met her in the wrong order. But no, we had Mel first. Yeah. She, we, met, yeah. she met the Doctor in the wrong it's order all first. all about Mel. She River knows Song all can... about the headaches. <laughs> Yeah, River Song can sling her hook. No, I mean, this is the thing yeah. as well that um, I've never really had a... I know that Mel is not regarded as one of the best companions of of Doctor Who. But I've always liked her. I've never had a problem with the character or Bonnie Langford playing the part. One of the things... That, I mean, yeah, I suppose that the, the screaming element was, was a bit much. I mean, one of my favourite stories is Paradise Towers. But that is a story in which does Mel no favours whatsoever. Uh, but because she's suddenly someone who is um, very... I mean, I enjoy swimming, don't get me wrong, but the, you know, you've got all these adventures and she's getting like really excited over a bloody swimming pool. It's a bit... Really? Um, but actually, on the whole, you know, she's someone who was uh, just loyal, straightforward, nice character and enjoyed the adventure. And, you know, I liked that. And one of the things that I liked about this story... Um, bring a male back is they make her a much stronger character but they don't alter an awful lot you know it still feels like Mel all what they've done is the rem- they've removed the screaming element of the character and everything else that we you know Mel was about it's all there That that's all what they've done it's just a slight tweak of the character my god she is a lot better uh, I mean I do like her in the televised stories but this is yeah she's just just remove just that slight tweak, and she is a heck of a lot better. That really struck me when I first listened to this, and this is a long time ago when I got the CD. And I always liked Mel. Um, my first story seen her mm-hmm. uh, would have been Terror of the Vervoids, 
So that was like her begin her beginning. Yes, same here. Yeah, yeah. I've always liked her from then on. Oh no, it was Dragonfire for me. Yeah. All right. Okay. Um. And yes, I get the screaming, but you know what? I love the screaming in, in Terror of the Vervoids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Yeah. I understand why people might not might think she maybe is a bit irritating or might not like how she dresses. I don't know. But on on CD, um, on the audio drama, sorry, big difference, um, and. A similar thing happened with Colin Baker on audio. Yeah, yeah. You kind of realise um, any concerns you had um, kind of kind of got washed away. Yeah, and I think for a lot of people, he's he's the best doctor of the audio range. And mm. from the handful that I've listened to, I can kind of get that. I mean, I I've always loved Colin Baker as the doctor. Um, but yeah, the, the, there are certain changes where they do come across better, and it's going to be interesting. So just going on a slight, we will get back to the story, but just going on a slight tangent. Um, I mean, I was surprised when it was announced that Bonnie Langford as Mel was coming back into the new series uh, when Shuti Gatwal um, starts properly. And in some respects, you go, Re- really? They're bringing Mel back? But um, I think it'll be interesting. And I think it'll be a bit of a renaissance. And having the, I mean, the fact that Mel was supposed to be a computer expert, and that was never in the televised story. It was sort of like briefly mentioned, but that was her whole thing. It'd be interesting if they if they make that an aspect of her character in the new series, because given everything, you know, things have advanced technologically massively since the late eighties. Um, I wonder if that will be a, an aspect of her being brought back. She's a massive computer expert and actually using that. But yeah, I wonder how they'll handle it. Like mm. we had a we had her for a brief scene in the last episode. Mm, yeah is do you think she's just going to be in like a two-parter possibly or it may actually be that uh she's ended up being re- because uh, my understanding is that unit is going to be more regularly used um yeah. it may be that you know she's tied in with unit and she works for unit in which case she could become a, a semi-regular or if they do a spin uh, a unit spin-off maybe she- i don't know that there's lots of there's lots of surprises and i think uh, uh there's a lot of uh, things that we don't know. Um, maybe it will be a one-off, but I suspect yeah. she may pop up a, bit, a little bit more often than that. I'm not sure. We should see. Yeah, It's nice having things to look forward to. <laughs> uh, so that's basically the end of part one of this uh, of this audio story. So they head back to the building where the TARDIS was, unfortunately, mm-hmm. because of the quake, the buildings collapsed and um, seemingly buried the TARDIS. Um, and the doctor explains to Mel, no, it won't be discovered uh, for another 2,000 years when it's uncovered by um, the archaeologists in, uh, in Pompeii in 1980. In the year 1980, the TARDIS will be discovered, dug out of the ash that will rain upon this city tomorrow. You don't mean... We can't escape it, Mel. No matter what we do, time already knows we've already lost... We won't see the TARDIS again. Nobody will see it. Not for almost 2,000 years. So, uh, this brings us on to part two. The Doctor recalls being contacted by Unit when he was in his fifth incarnation. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they got in touch with him, and the Doctor basically didn't want to know about it. Like, he knows knows it's coming, but he wanted, wanted to limit... The, his amount of foreknowledge as well there mm. um, to avoid any issues. We get a character called Umakia, 
Um, and she's a more upper class person in this story. She has like lots of slaves or servants. What does she do? I know she, she's a she's a worshiper of the triads. So that was what the doctor mentioned was Juno, Jupiter, and Minerva. Mm-hmm. Whereas, um, well, she's a priestess, Christ, isn't uh, she? She she is a priestess, yes. Mm. And um, Pompidius Celsinus um, was a worshiper of the the Church of uh, the um, uh, of Isis. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so they've they've got different beliefs there, but um, the whole Roman culture is very multi-faith because they kind of, um, as they conquer, they take in different religions. Um, and a lot of them are like, um, like multi-god religions rather than, rather than one God religions. So mm-hmm. they don't seem to have many conflicts with other people's beliefs, I guess. Um, which is, I guess it's, it's a, it's an interesting like mentality, isn't it? Like they cannot, yeah. Mm-hmm. But obviously, what's interesting, the story exposed that the, you know there's still political ramifications with that because you know you've got this this new uh, goddess Isis and she's the the hip new groovy god that everyone's digging in Pompeii, uh, and you've you've got this priestess who is uh, what was it Jupiter Minerva um, and Juno. who was the third Juno. Juno, yes. Um, and she's going, you know, but these are the old gods and, you know, they're the real ones and Pompeii's lost its way. And obviously this builds up, um, that that causes conflict between the characters and this builds up and the Doctor and Mel get caught up in the conflict of this. Um, and I appreciate, Rob, that I'm leaping ahead. Uh, uh, but this then obviously has a massive payoff because she thinks that uh, the the eruption of a, uh, of the volcano is is because of oh, everyone yeah, worshipping she, ISIS. She thinks she's untouchable by the hot rocks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a, a great character and performed really well, but uh, towards the end of the story, I did want a rock to land on her. I was yeah. disappointed when that didn't happen. Um, and I guess that, that, that does show that her, her religious commitment isn't simply political. You know, they do have, she does have a belief. Yes, um, that's whereas, yeah, um, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Whereas um, Pompidius Celsinus, I'm not so sure. But uh, yes, so the Doctor returns to Valeria's inn for a drink. He explains um, the risks of altering foreknowledge. We kind of touched upon that earlier, and he's kind of resigned to staying in Pompeii. But Mel won't accept it, hmm. and this is like. This is a first for the Doctor, this stance. Like, he's just going to give up. Um, it's not what the Doctor does. And, um, hmm. yeah, good for Mel. She won't accept it. Yeah, it's 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 a good dynamic. It does it does wonders for, for the character of Mel, and Bonnie Langford plays the part really well. But it also does something else at the same time. Uh, but it's not heavy-handed. Because Sylvester McCoy's Doctor in season 24 when it was him and, and Bonnie Langford as Mel. His Doctor is much more light-hearted for the, for, for the most part. There's a slight change. He becomes a little bit more melancholy with um, in the story Delta and the Bannerman. And then Mel leaves and Ace is brought into the scene. And then season 25 and 26, uh, Sylvester McCoy decided to play the Doctor in a, in, in a different way. Abandon the comedy, mostly, not completely. And become what uh, you know is termed you know, the dark manipulator. 
Uh, and I think what this story does is try to bridge the gap between those interpretations. You know, because he's he's a, he's a bit more secretive in this story. He doesn't tell Mel in you know the full story until later on, and the whole concept of time. He's not. He keeps that to himself for uh, at least an episode. I think it starts to come out in the second episode. Um, and yeah, you're right. He is a, a bit more defeatist, um, which sort of reminds me of Colin Baker's Doctor at the very beginning of Vengeance on Varos. Um, and at the end of the story, he's um, he uh, works out a way to sort out the situation, which is sort of keeping with the rules, but manipulating them at the same time. So it's uh, I think it uh, it does that wonderful thing of it does the character of Mel an awful lot of favors, but at the same time it bridges the, the that gap, it, it bridges that slight difference of of McCoy's Doctor bes- between season twenty four and tw- twenty five, and I think it does that quite well. Yeah, I got I got the vibes of the of the latter, yeah, of the season twenty five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Eumachia interrogates Agale about um, these messengers from Isis, and th- this is where um, Mel comes in. Agale takes Mel off to uh, the temple of Isis to pray, and Mel thought she was actually going to get some actual help. Um, and not just pray. And, and Mel's is Mel a bit disrespectful, perhaps. I don't know. Well, well yes, yeah, she is because she. You know, I mean, she's not hiding the fact that she thinks all this religious not, is stuff is a whole load of <laughs> nonsense. It's nonsense, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, it um, it doesn't quite come across as rude for, for two reasons. Uh, one is because of um, the the servant who she's befriended. And the relationship that they're establishing, which is quite nice. Yeah. Um, but also the fact that you can kind of see that, you know, given the situation that they're in, they know that they're on borrowed time, that if they hang around, they could die in the upcoming uh, eruption. So she hasn't got time for, for pleasantries. And um, I mean, that doesn't doesn't mean that, you know, Mel's incredibly rude throughout the whole story. She's, she's not. Um, but, you know, she really needs to sort of like knuckle down and, and get to the, resolving the situation as soon as possible. If she doesn't, she could die. So, yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, she, she isn't being entirely, you know, she's not she's not being respectful. But at the same time, it's like, come on, Mel. I mean, you're in a different different culture and stuff. Maybe you can, uh, you know, be, be a bit, a bit more, more respectful. More but at the same yeah. time, it's just like, no, stop hanging around. I totally get it. It's you know, <laughs> you know, you know, don't pussyfoot around, or you could die. So. Yeah, uh, but it's fortunate that they went to the Temple of Isis because this is where they see Pompidius Celsinus, hmm. and he offers to to help uh, Mel recover the TARDIS because you know he's a local counselor. And you know, if you want some rubble shifting, he's your he's, guy. <laughs> he's your man. Yeah, yep. he's your man. So he offers to take Mel to dinner. Well, to have dinner, and. Um, Mel's like, yeah, come on, Agile, we can all go, but you know he won't have that because she's just a slave. Um, so she gets the doctor, and they go for dinner, but it turns out to be Yumakia's house, um, who Mel had had briefly met earlier on in this episode, and Yumakia was a bit skeptical about um, who exactly Mel and the doctor were. And she was quite forward about that. So she does kind of further question um, 
if they are even from Isis. Um, and she does also mention the TARDIS as well. Um, oh, after the dinner, Yumakia has Mel falsely arrested for supposedly stealing something from her house at the dinner party. Yeah. And she's taken away in a carriage and she kind of proclaims that, you know, come tomorrow, they'll, they'll all be dead. And that's the cliffhanger for part two. Thoughts so far? Enjoying the stories? Oh, yes, very much so. I uh, was really enjoying it. And um, <clears throat> I was taking my time with it. I didn't want to, t- to rush it. So I, I, I was actually listening to it an episode at a time. And um, it was quite nice to, to enjoy those, uh, to enjoy the cliffhangers. Um, yeah, and getting wrapped up in the, the sort of the political situation of this and um, the priestess trying to, do, you know, uh, trying to re-establish her position uh, by promoting the gods that, you know, she believes in, whilst at the same time um, trying to discredit the, 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 the Doctor and Mel by falsifying this thing. You know, it was, you know, you get the sense that there, there's real danger. Um, so Mel's on her way to prison. Uh, and we know that, you know, we're getting, as the story progresses, we're getting more and more close to um, uh, eruption. Yeah, this is just the night before, and um, the character that Mel's obviously a bit tied up right now, which is worrying. Yeah, and I mean, is that the, the, we know that at the end of the story they're going to be fine, that the Doctor and Mel are going to get out of this, but it's it's a case of how how they're going to get out of this. Um, it's it's written very well, and so even though you know that thing, oh, at the end they're going to be fine. I was still, you know, it was really brought into the story and just really relishing it so yeah yeah and how much better are the characters in this than the fires of pompeii uh yes much more like stronger as individuals you get to know them a bit better yeah and where whereas you couldn't it's hard to identify with all the different different people in the fires of pompeii it's only a 40 odd minute episode but there was a lot of characters there and they only had it Really, a few scenes. Mm. I mean, that's sort of one of the the curious things about modern television. You get uh, it's abandoned the old serialized form, and I'm not just talking about Doctor Who. I'm talking about television in general. It's abandoned the old serialized form, uh, and you get you know these stories, um, which are self-contained within 45, 50 minute episodes, and this is a bit, it's supposed to be much more emotional and get a stronger sense of, of character, but. Here we have a big finish audio adventure, which is structured like old Doctor Who. It's a four-part story, each 25 minutes, give or take a couple, but 25-minute episodes. And during the course of the entire story, they, they, yeah, I completely agree with you, Rob. They come across much better realised than the fires of Pompeii. So I don't think there's that... Uh, if you if you look at both stories, I don't think there's that uh, there's that much difference in how many of the main characters that there are. I think you know, the, um, in Pfizer Vulcan, we got a good handful of, of 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 characters, and I think in terms of the the main characters in um, Pfizer Pompeii, the, the, probably numbers wise it matches. But with uh, with Vulcan, uh, the story the characters feel much more fleshed out, and uh, you get a much better understanding of where they're about and where they're coming from. Oh, totally. It's like the only type of serialised drama we get in the new era 
is like a companion's family, for example. Mm. Like we might have Jackie Taylor back, you know, for a few episodes here and there. And that's the only kind of thing we get. Unless we get like a good two-parter in the new era where the guest the guest stars we get a bit more familiar with. Mm. But it's just not the same. No, it's not. Mm. And uh, actually, because one of the things that we, we know about uh, when the series comes back properly uh, is that it's, it's going to be eight episodes uh, a series plus the Chris, plus a Christmas special. And right. um, when you look at, I'm not talking about Doctor Who, although it has had 13 episode series, but if you look at a lot of, say, really, really good, well-respected American uh, dramas, for example, which are 13 episodes, you have ones where, you know, you're following the characters and you're fleshing them out and it's following the main narrative. And then at some point you'll have a random episode where it just stops the main story for a little while and goes, let's focus on one or two of these characters and get into their backstory a bit and you know, fleshes them out that way. And I think um, you, you're you not going to get that really with the new Doctor Who. It's not a criticism because um, at the end of the day, what, what we're wanting is just... Um, exciting action adventure stories and i think we're definitely going to get that it's just a, just an observation really and i think uh for all the talk of modern television being very good um at establishing character and enriching them and in terms of doctor who comparing new and classic with new apparently being better than that i don't buy that i don't think that's strictly true I think you probably get the same amount of character development in. Um... Actually, it's probably less. Anyway, I'm just rambling now. I think you get the gist of what I'm talking no, about. But... It's all good. So, yeah, we'll get back onto part three next. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, Pompidius Celsinus visits Mel in the jail. And uh, he soon kind of agrees with Mel that she didn't steal anything because he was at the dinner party. Mm-hmm. So that gets him thinking. So uh, he heads out of the jail and on the way out, he finds the jailer asleep and then he finds the doctor there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it turns out the doctor had perhaps put the jailer to sleep <laughs> yeah. and uh, he hypnotizes Pompidius Celsinus. Mm. So this is a trait of the master. Sort of. I think the, the, the way that the Doctor does it in this story is, is different. Whereas with the Master, he just out and right hypnotises people. Yeah. Well, the Doctor has to has do... This, has Mackay done this on screen before? Uh, Silver Nemesis. Yeah. Uh, but it's, yeah. it's not as effective. It's uh, The way that he does it in Silver Nemesis, I think he manages to basically... Uh, I think it works for 30 seconds and then that's it. Oh, right. Okay. Um but yeah, with this, he has to do it through the power of suggestion. You can't just look in their eyes and go, you will obey me. Um, he's having to basically go, you, you know, you're very tired and you're very busy. And uh, maybe, maybe you should pass that responsibility on to someone else. Just sit down and relax. You know, it's through the power of suggestion. And that's, you know, that's how yeah. he has to do it. So the doctor frees Mel and uh, they jump into uh, the, well, they, they meet Agley um, and she's, Stolen a wagon, I think. Is it from... Is Yumakia her mistress? No. Or do we not see Agley's mistress? No, I think... 
I think she is, isn't she? But she also she works in the right, pub, okay. doesn't she? So yeah, that maybe that's what threw me a bit. Mm. Um, so Agley's stolen a wagon, which I presume is uh, belongs to her mistress. That I mean, that that is said. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Aye. Um, so the doctor concludes that the TARDIS wasn't buried under the rubble because he thinks and um, realizes that the the area where the rubble fell on the TARDIS was excavated long before 1980. So the TARDIS must have been moved, much like it was in the fires of Pompeii, I guess. Yes, yeah. 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 In fact, you, you'd think David Tennant would be like, this has happened before. <laughs> um, so he sends Mel off with Agley um, to be safe. And... Um, as they are leaving the city, at the city gates, they're stopped. Um, Agle tells the guard that um, she's just going out to get some more booze for Valeria. <laughs> yeah. but, <laughs> but he's like, oh, yeah, what you like. But he wants to inspect the wagon. Um, Proper jobs. And with. inside, yeah, he finds Mel inside. Then Agle knocks him out from behind with a stone arm or something like that. Um, but then yeah, she says it's from a statue, but obviously it's at someone's stone arm that's fell off in the fires of Pompeii. <gasps> <laughs> See, ties up. <laughs> um, so the doctor arrives in Valeria's Inn once again, um, and the gladiator Moranis is still there. And you know, he's been ranting and raving. For the last few episodes because he wants revenge on the doctor and there's there's even writing on the wall now of some little dwarf man <laughs> who, <beat. laughs> yes. who bested Moranis so his his rep has gone down now um, and he wants to regain his honour by killing the doctor mm. he gets Valeria to help him she's reluctant um, but he insists um oh mel and agley after they'd been to the, the the city gates they went to the tomb at the necropolis and um then they discovered and ended back in bloody jail mm-hmm. the same cell can you believe it i'm not i'm not um accusing this part of the story as being a bit of filler just to add a bit more pace but it's interesting that the doctor breaks her out of jail and she ends ends up back in. Is it almost like a bit of a, oh, for God's sakes, not again moment, <laughs> like entrapment because the whole place is going to blow? Yeah, there is know. a bit. Well, yeah, I mean, it is clearly that, but it, it it's not something that I minded. It, it helps the, yeah. the, the, you know, it helps with the drama of the story. It does, yeah. And it didn't, I didn't mind it at all. Yeah, and I it, was just curious. Yeah, and it didn't feel convoluted. I think that was the thing because they were on the run from the guard. And they were having to hide, and it's just as they were coming out of hiding, then the guard comes along and arrests them. So it didn't feel convoluted. It was it was woven into the story rather well. Yeah, totally. So Valeria pours the doctor a drink. Um, it's been drugged though, so he's getting drugged. Hmm. Celsinus goes to the jail and frees Mel for a chat. Um, she tries to convince him that the volcano will erupt. They do use the word volcano in this story casually. Mm-hmm. And 
when they did when they used it in the fires of Pompeii, we we had um, Caecilius saying the what you know you know it wasn't a word then. Do we know if that's actually me. true? I don't know. It's it's I, always something I, I, that I've been curious about, and I've never been able to actually find out. Is what's said in the fires of Pompeii true? That the eruption in Pompeii gave us the story of volcano. I mean, it's it's, it's um, plausible, but I don't know whether it's true. I'll I'll Google it now. So, where did the word volcano originate? The word volcano comes from the island of Volcano in the Mediterranean Sea of Sicily. Right, okay. Um, believe that the volcano was the chimney of the forge of Vulcan, the blacksmith of the Roman gods. But does this predate? I don't know. But it, I... when it ties in, I mean, obviously it does have the origins from Vulcan, Vulcanus. Yeah. Which then gives us the Italian word volcano later on. It works well. Yeah, and you know yeah. what? I don't. I don't mind if you're trying to unify these two stories. I don't mind that it's being used in this story and perhaps understood because we have the whole, the whole TARDIS translation thing going on anyway. So things can get translated well or lost in translation, I guess, in certain context. I'm just trying to make sense of it. Yeah, no, I, th- um, I think, I mean, from this little brief of. <laughs> brief rapid research that we that we've we've done on it i think what's said in the pfizer pompeii it it's not strictly true but it derives from some sort of truth you know it, it derives from the word uh for uh for vulcan but the yeah. fact that it actually came from the eruption in pompeii i think that's what's a load of bunk yeah right it's fun though yeah, yeah, yeah. so when celsius why can't I say Pompidius self? I can say Pompidius Celsinus, but I have trouble saying Celsinus. I'll just say his full name. <laughs> so when he's out with Mel mm-hmm. after she's been in jail, she asks him um, about the TARDIS. And he knows a few details about it. Like he knows that it said like police box. Mm. And these are details that has been given to him. Now, one of the one of the only or few people that we know has seen the TARDIS was the slave in the opening scene of the story. And because slaves supposedly can't read, how could this bit of information reached Pompidius Salcinus? Mm-hmm. Um so when Mel asks him about it, he says, Well, um he got Eumachia told him. And this is where Mel realizes that she must have it. Yeah. Um, so that that's a quite a clever a bit of deduction for Mel. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think she's the brains of the story, mm. and um, the Doctor's just the the whining. And the Doctor should have had the Mel screams in this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Take the reversed roles. Um, but yeah, Mel's kind of figured it out. Who's got the TARDIS and. Uh, the earth begins to quake yet again, and Mel notices something interesting. The water stopped. Um, they'll obviously have lots of natural aqueducts and streams and things, I'm, I assume. 
um, they've stopped and also the birds are fleeing. Mm-hmm. And there's a bird in the cage who's kind of freaking out. So the doctor wakes up after he's been drugged with Moranis. And inside the arena, uh, there's a small audience of gladiators there. And Moranis gives the doctor a net and trident. Uh, but he refuses to fight. Fighting won't solve anything. We've all got more important things to worry about. Pick up the net and trident, Doctor, or you will be defenseless. There has to be another way to settle this. Fight back or not, I will slaughter you either way. I have given you a chance to defend yourself. My conscience is clear. But I will have satisfaction. If you will not take the weapons, then you will die all the sooner. You think you'll reclaim your honor this way? But your honor will be worth nothing when you're reduced to ashes. Then die, Doctor! With a coward's flea on your lips! That's that's the end of the cliffhanger to part three. Mm-hmm. And um some good dialogue there from uh from McCoy. Yeah. Your your honor will be worth nothing when you're reduced to ashes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's quite cool. Yeah. He delivers the lines really well. So on to part four. Celsinus believes Mel um, about everything now. And um, she asks him a favor to go get Agley and take it to safety out of the city. Valeria comes to the doctor's defense um, in the in the arena. Mm-hmm. Uh, Moranis attacks, but the doctor and Valeria um, try to escape. This is where, I think this is the point where Vesuvius just erupts. It's quite a, a distant thunder sound um, which comes over the city. Mel meets the city gatekeeper who was knocked out by somebody's arm um, earlier on. Uh, but he's quite forgiven here and he keeps her safe during the, the hot storm of hail that's coming down. And um, Yeah, he's quite nice at this point. So the doctor and Valeria get to a safe place and he tells her that, uh, like, like, what will happen to Pompeii and its people? Mel confronts Eumachia about the TARDIS and kind of guesses where she's left it. So Mel's like, oh, I wonder where you've left it. Could it be in the in the wool market? Because uh, Eumachia's family is like wool merchants, I think. Mm-hmm. Or is it cotton? Something. Uh, well, I think, but yeah. Well, yeah. Um, and then she's like, no, that would be too obvious. In your family's tomb, which is kind of right. So yeah, Mel kind of knows where it is. The Doctor and Valeria bump into Pompidius Celsinus and Agley on the way out to have one final reunion. The Doctor's a bit concerned though, because he think, where's Mel? And he now knows that she hasn't reached safety, so he needs to go and find her. Um, but he says a, a goodbye to them all and wishes them luck. Mm-hmm. Mel speaks with Eumachia's slave in, in the necropolis who tells him that Eumachia had had the um, the TARDIS stored in a, the tomb of a different family. So she gets directions there. And Moranis has a final scene as well where he speaks with the gladiators. Um, and much like Eumachia, Moranis and the other gladiators believe they have nothing to fear. And they talk about everyone who's fleeing and running, but they kind of stay united. And um, I think all this kind of mirrors 
like the people that have been found in in real life because pe- people um of course were preserved mm-hmm. in the hot ash and you know they're in the, they're in the homes they're praying yeah huddled together yeah and we kind of have people like the, the, i guess this is an example of people kind of stay, staying behind and not fleeing Agle and Salcinus reach the city gate and at this point the ash is like knee deep and she's struggling but they kind of they kind of push on and they've lost sight of Valeria at this point and uh, she asks Salcinus you know why why did you bother saving me of all people um, and he says you know it was a promise to Mel but it's nice that they've kind of got each other at this stage Eumachia has um, has been packing away all her possessions safely. She's got all her slaves working, and they're saying maybe she should get to safety. But she's like, no, you know the 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 gods aren't going to punish me for this. It's it's Pompey that's being punished. The doctor finally fa- finds Mel, and she tells him where the TARDIS is. He admits he was wrong, uh, and he's re- like regained hope at this point. Mm-hmm. Took bloody long enough. <laughs> Moan your loss. Yeah. 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 Um, so they go off to the necropolis, find the TARDIS, and they are back in modern day. And they reflect on what's happened about everyone who was lost, um, the thousands that died, thousands that tried to escape and probably died in the result in their fall of ash. You know, they kind of w- they wonder... Did any of these people survive that they met? And um, we'll never know. And the Doctor is optimistic for a change. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I'll, uh, I like to believe um, they are, unless you see evidence to the contrary. Mm-hmm. And they spent three days in the TARDIS waiting for the ash to harden. And once it made a TARDIS-shaped shell, um, they kind of jumped forward 2,000 years. And... Uh, had a walk around, and this is where we go back to the first scene of the story, and it all comes first full circle. There's the um, archaeologist, uh, the archaeologist. I'm, I'm, I couldn't say that word there, um, and the, and the uh, person from Unit is there as well, and it, yeah, it's all come full circle, which is quite nice. Mm-hmm. Do you think they survived, Doctor? I mean, Agley, Celsinus, and Valeria. I don't know, Mel. Many people died. Thousands of bodies were found within the city walls, preserved in cavities in the ash. They told the historians far more about their Roman ancestors than they could ever have hoped to have learned otherwise. But those were the ones who stayed, weren't they? Thousands more must have evacuated. What happened to them? They were fighting their way through the heavy shower of volcanic ash, Mel. Some would have been lucky, others would have died. From this point in time, there's no way of knowing the fate of any one of them. I prefer to believe the best until we see proof to the contrary. So that's that. Yeah. So, yeah, you enjoyed that? Yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah, that was a very good story. Um, I liked the approach of, of, of dealing with this in a straight historical way. I really liked the characters, the, the drama of it, and just how the story unfolds. And the structure of it. Just everything. I just think it's a really good story. Yeah. Should we go over to the Poland station and see how it did? Uh, yep. Uh, yep, so over at cloisterbellpodcast.com, you can visit the Pfizer Vulcan polling station, which will remain open. You can vote now. Uh, 
at present, the vote stands at 0% bad, 25% average, 75% good. Ah, excellent. Who said it was average? <laughs> Do you vote in these polls, Liam? Are we not allowed to? Um, uh, I don't know. Would that be would that be cheating? I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm asking directly. Are you evading the question? <laughs> <laughs> well, we give our own ranking, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. Do you vote? No, no. Do you? No, no. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Should we? Uh, I don't know. Uh, no. 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 Um, but yes, I, I would say this is a very good story. Hmm. It's not necessarily like a big story, but it's a more grounded, intimate story mm-hmm. of a major historical event. And you know, it doesn't. It's got nothing to prove. It's it's just it's just a nice little story. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think and I've really enjoyed going back and checking it out yeah well for me because as, as i said uh, this is the first time I, I listened to it um for me this is a story that i will very easily re-listen to and there's there's not that many big finnish audio adventures that i can actually say that of of the ones that i've listened to but this i would find very easy to re-listen to it is very good yeah do you have a favorite character because i think i love them all um oh do i have a favorite character Moranis was pretty fun. Yeah, um, I mean, my least favorite—I still thought he was a good character. My least favorite was the was the gladiator. Yeah, he's the one I've just mentioned, Moranis. Yeah, he's my. Uh, <laughs> oh, right, yes. Um, oh, I was mixed. I didn't. Not, not that I liked him, but I thought it, it was. Uh, yeah, it was fun because we had this whole subplot of his integrity and his pride and his revenge and stuff. Yes, so yeah, it yeah. was a interesting little bit because it gave the story like a villain for the doctor to play off with like physically it would have been like good to see on screen because i thought this story was still quite visual mm-hmm. so having the doctor in the arena with a net and a trident i thought that was quite a cool image mm-hmm. yeah yeah i don't think we got any feedback for this let me just double check yeah no, i don't, don't think don't um, think we did oh, we had a comment on x <laughs> uh, on twitter um from the Doctor Who show. Oh, all right, okay. It wasn't necessarily feedback on the story, which is a comment, but they said, uh, we reviewed it for our August show. As a pure historical, I think it's excellent and something TV Doctor Who really misses out on mm. by not dipping into once in a while. Mel comes across really well in this, the way you wish she'd been back in 86, 87, eye-opening in comparison. Yeah, I mean, as I said, I've always liked the character of Mel, but yeah, definitely. I think uh, I much prefer this than how she was in the TV series, if if you want to make that. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that's a, that's I think that's a really good summary, and I completely agree. I I, I would like um, some more straight historicals. Yeah, I doubt it'll happen, but that would be good. Yeah, I doubt it would happen, but I, it's just which is a bit mm. disappointing. But um, yeah. Yeah, so I've really enjoyed checking out the two Pompeii stories. Mm-hmm. We don't often get two stories that can coexist. Um, usually you'd get a story that adapts a previous story, mm-hmm. like um, Human Nature or 
whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. Um, and ob- quite often you might get a story that contradicts another, like a, um, revisits a historical event. But uh, in this case, it was harmless. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if it was inspired a little bit by the big finish. Like the the two titles of the stories are pretty uncanny. Like the fires of Vulcan, the fires of Pompeii. They go together quite well. I mean, just just as a final final point, I mean, I do enjoy both stories. Uh, I do like the Pfizer Pompeii, and um, I think it's a good, entertaining story. So, um, I do enjoy both of them. But my favourite of the two is the Pfizer Vulcan. So this one, the big Finnish one. Yeah, same for me. The TV stories, uh, it's entertaining. Yep. It's got some cheap thrills in there. Mm. It's 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 good, um, but yeah, this is my absolute favorite of the two. Yeah, definitely. So, um, Liam, we're back next week. Um, what's happening? Yes. Yeah, so, um, there's been some sort of logic of the the stories that we've been picking mm-hmm. to review in relation to the sixtieth and whatnot, but uh, we abandon that um, for for next week. We're going okay into the John Perry era, and just because I. Just because I want us to look at it, we will be reviewing the claws of Axos. Great. It feels like five minutes ago that I went and bought that DVD on release day, but that was like twenty years ago. Yeah, it's funny when you when you're watching the um, the special um, special features on the DVDs. Yes, that has like a unit feature on there or something. Yeah, yeah. That seems a bit dated now. And when it um, and then when it, when you see the 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 year in which the the special feature was was made like 2007 just got off oh, bloody hell <laughs> but well, that's exciting yeah but i remember uh getting the vhs from virgin uh mega store well, i don't know it was wow. uh, the one on, yeah. on northumberland street and um yeah uh, probably around about 95 uh, or something yeah <laughs> oh well that's cool um if anyone wants to listen to that tune in next week or, what can they do, Liam? Or, they can um, sign up on Patreon and get the episode a week in advance. That's right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so it's available a week a week in advance. Yeah, so do check that out if you'd like to support the podcast. But, yeah, thanks for joining today, Liam. <laughs> and uh, <Yeah. laughs> Not at all. As always. Yeah, and uh, thank you, Rob, for hosting. <laughs> thanks. Uh, thank you everyone for listening um, yeah, a lot of thanks this week yeah, <laughs> yeah thanks everyone uh, yeah and thanks. as I say uh, next week we will be re- look, uh, reviewing uh, the Claws of Axos yeah see you around bye everyone. goodbye <laughs>